Let's take a look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? I want to talk especially to those of you today that are not feeling it. For some reason, you're just not feeling the Lord's Supper. You're not feeling the presence of God. You see the poinsettias or poinsettias. I I don't know. Uh, You see the lights, but you're just not feeling it, the presence of God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I'm going to ask you to allow me to be very personal in the beginning of this lesson. I was raised in a harsh religion. Sometimes I kid people and say we were two light bulbs from being Amish, but it, it it was brutal. It was just brutal. I don't know very many of the kids that were, that I knew as a kid that go to any church today. It just tore the heart out of people. I was teetering several times in my life on the edge of walking away permanently from God. I came close. I came to agnosticism at least, deism at best. And once again, I was teetering on the edge of walking away from faith. We were preparing to move to America, and I told my wife, I do believe there's a God, and I'll go to church with you, but I, I don't even want to say a prayer in church. I told her, in fact, emphatically, I will never speak in public in a church again. I, I've always been a, a really brilliant prophet. Um, <laughs> My son-in-law asked me this last year. He said, what did I think about the election? I said, have you looked at my record? I don't know anything about what's going to happen. But anyway, I was at that lost feeling and point in my life. A friend sent me a couple of books I didn't want to read, so I didn't. Just put them away. And then I became sick. Not desperately ill. This isn't one of those stories. I woke up, my legs fell off. It's not one of those stories. This is just a bad kind of bronchitis, pneumonia-type thing. Lost my voice. I was confined to bed. Found the books. The books are both by Max Lucado. They were two little books. God came near, and no wonder they call him the Savior. I had read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity the year before. That's why I believed that there was a God. I'd found that book in a used bookstore on the side of the River Ness and Inverness in the highlands of Scotland, devoured it. Actually, it fell apart. I read it so often. But I wasn't ready to embrace Jesus because while Jesus, I knew Jesus loved me because I knew the songs, I didn't think it mattered because his dad certainly didn't. Jesus was gentle and would walk around holding sheep and such, but, but God killed nations. God blasted people with fire and lightning. God, you know how the difference is? Were you raised like that as well? Where Jesus loved you, but that was very ineffectual, really, when God is in charge. I had too many spiritual and mental bruises there to accept Jesus or even look at him much. But 
This was the age before 24-7 TV. I know it's shocking and hard to believe, but before the internet, before 24-7 TV, where TVs actually went off, uh, there was nothing on. There, you, or worse, cricket, which in Breton was worse than nothing. Uh, it, 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 it spontaneously puts people in coma. So I had nothing to watch, uh, nothing to work with, and so... I pulled out the books, and I was stunned. This was a picture of Jesus I'd never been given, and I questioned it. All of the old, harsh, narrow, legalistic arguments came back that said, yes, but, yes, but, yeah, but. I even said out loud when my wife said, what do you think of the books? I said, and this is as close to a quote as I can do, this is wonderful, if only it were true. I felt or heard a voice during that time that said, what if it is? So I decided to do something. I'm a scientist. I don't mind looking at data. So I decided to read the Gospels over and over again for six months. You know that. I've talked about that. And it was that that changed everything. The lesson this morning, and some of what comes next week, borrow heavily from those readings of the six months plus the readings of those two little books by Max Lucado. And all credit needs to be given to him if I'm using some of his material. Anything I say in error is me. If it's good, let's assume it came from him. That said, remember our text, Psalm 139, you cannot flee from God. I thought I was far from God, but I wasn't. I thought God did not like me, and I knew I did not like him. I believed in him, but I didn't like him. I believed we were very far apart. I believed that my life did not matter. But the fact is, my belief did not matter. The facts matter. And he was there. And he is there with you. Even especially if you don't feel him. He is there. Think about this. A bunch of pagan philosophers standing around on top of a mountain arguing about the existence of, of different gods. They have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And yet when Paul speaks to them, he says this in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Look at this line though he is not far from any one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Even those men on that mountain were not far from God because God will not allow us to go far from him. When I was a boy, I prayed for miraculous things to happen, and they rarely did because they were boy prayers. You know, boy prayers are things about almost magical. 
that somebody is well overnight or that I would grow up big and strong. That one I still have a little problem with God about. Um, that, you know, I would do this or God would do that or, or he'd make it rain on a certain day or make it snow so we didn't have to go to school or not let it rain when we had a game outside. You know, boy prayers. I prayed for the miraculous and they didn't. Didn't usually happen. That bothered me. But I didn't feel like I could talk about it. When I got older, I must confess, I have seen what can only be described as miracles. And miracles in the narrow sense of the term, as in going against all known laws of, of physics, science, the universe. But other times, they were a different kind of miracle. Miracles such as the fall of nations. Without war, without us trying, evil went away. The protection of believers, maybe not as individuals, but communities. How in the world did that community survive? The interaction of neurochemicals, minute electrical impulses in the brain that, that do so much wondrous things, and yet they, we still don't comprehend how they do it. The monstrously tangled, complicated mess of connections we call our brain. The well-organized city inside every cell. The way everything on this planet seems designed for life. To the point where we prosper, even with management disasters. We, we all the time mess up things on the planet, and the planet seems to fix itself and keep us going. Seasons. The food chain. Yeah, extinctions occur. But even with the vast number of extinctions, life continues to roll forward. To me, that's a miracle. To me, a miracle is to watch a small boy catch a ball. You ever thought of that? Let's do baseball, since you're Americans. And I don't want to explain cricket. It could be a young girl, but we'll talk about young girls in a bit. Let's say a young boy's up to bat. He swings, connects. That's a miracle there. But then the ball goes out on an arc. And there's a little boy out there, six, seven, eight years old. And he has got now to do several hundred thousand neural connections, decisions, and doing trigonometry in his head before he even knew there's a word called trigonometry, and calculus, and moving, and correction, and there's the ball. I find that absolutely amazing, miraculous. And I love to see his face light up when he makes it. Or how about the little girl that dances for joy, even in the most inappropriate places, and then watch your parents smile in that interaction, knowing to dance, knowing how to dance, because they've not been told yet that they don't know how or it's not acceptable. Just dancing with joy. And to me, I have stood right after this event that I told you about, right after we moved to America, a month or two later, there was a state or county fair where we had moved and I went and stood there, and I'll never forget one of the things where I saw God most powerfully was at the carousel, the, the merry-go-round, I think you call it. 
I watched as every time a child went around, they waved at their parent. And every time, the parent waved back. And I kept watching that, thinking, that's a miracle. Somebody cares, somebody loves, to the point of, I missed you five seconds. It's true. Jesus didn't stay on earth, tossing out demons, raising the dead to keep our attention over the centuries. I wish he had. That would have been fun to watch. It would have made faith a lot easier, I think. Still, we are surrounded by miracles of life and experience for which we have no adequate explanation. What we know in science makes us pay attention to God because we know something doesn't come from nothing. We know intelligence doesn't come from non-intelligence. We know that life does not come from non-life. Everything about any other theory about how we got here is unscientific. There had to be a beginning and a beginner. But I fear that as we walk about the art gallery of God's designs, that we're like, may I say, the American tourist who go into the cathedral at Chartres or Cologne or Notre Dame, or they go into St. Paul's, Westminster, or York Minster Abbey. Art and beauty and stained glass and paintings and like Sistine Chapel everywhere, and they're kind of looking down at their phones. Or they're looking down at the carpet. If you've ever been on a tour of Europe, one thing you heard a lot from your guide constantly was, look up, look up. Because people don't. They look down here. They tunnel vision. And they say, look up, and you look and see, and you gasp. You can hear audible gasp. I fear that most of us are walking through God's art gallery with our eyes down on the carpet. We're not seeing it. There was a woman sent to me by the doctors in town. I was kind of known as the last chance resort. <laughs> They'd tried everything. She had been broken severely. I won't do details because they're still too ugly. But she'd been systematically sexually abused by her brothers and father for most of her life growing up till she was 16 and could run away from home. And then, so profoundly broken, she had gone through her life alone, lonely, angry, found a man that finally wooed her and loved her, only for him, two years after they were married, to become ill and slowly and painfully die in front of her. She had no joy, all pain, just a wad of pain. When she'd come to me, I talked to her, we worked, we worked for three or four weeks, and I realized I have nothing in my bucket to give this woman. I, none of my, nothing I've been taught is going to help her. And in desperation, I did a Hail Mary, although I, that sounds kind of Catholic. Uh, what I did, and we love our Catholic brothers uh, and sisters. Anyway, uh, I, I told her, I said, tomorrow before you come here, do you know that park? It was called Rising Park. Not, not a special park by the stretch. She said, yes. I said, I want you to go there 
and I want you just to walk and look around for an hour and then come see me. She goes, why? I said, I want you to come tell me what you see. Now, you're wondering, what did I have in mind? Nothing. (laughs) I had nothing. She showed up. She was quite disturbed. It was February or such in in Ohio, and there's nothing more unlovely than February in Ohio. It's not even covered with snow. It's just all brown and ook right in front of you. And she said, everything looked dead. And that's when something clicked in my head. I said, it looked dead. She goes, everything, the trees, grass, it's just mud and gray, and it's awful. I said, it looked dead. She goes, yes, I said that. I said, was it? dead. She thought for a while, and she said, well, I guess it looks dead. And I said, but is it dead? She's thought for a while, and she goes, no, it's just dormant, I guess. I said, no, you don't guess. You know. What happens next at that park? We began to talk from there. And I'm not going to tell you we turned her into a joyful unicorn and bunny lady, but we got her through life because she realized she'd not been looking at it the right way. God was closer than she had thought. If you really want to see God with us, pay attention. See the seeds, the flowers. See life and death. See the babies smile. Hear them cry. Taste the grape juice in the wee cup. And as you taste that taste... Hear the king say, I'm right here. I'm right here. I got you. You may not be aware of this, but preachers need to hear that too. Now, I'm not really a preacher because I didn't go to school for this. That's why I don't know how to say it it right. And I, I say things that make my wife want to go to Texas. But we need, us up here, need to hear God say he has us too. Because we are sinful too. Did you notice the line, I'll refer to Mark's song as well, uh, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. When I sang that this morning, my first thought was, sin has not lost its grip on me, but the curse has. And we need to remember as we taste the juice, I'm right here. God's right here. Luke 24, 21, the two apostles are walking away from Jerusalem toward Emmaus. They're so disappointed. They're so brokenhearted. But they stop and wonder as the stranger approaches them. The stranger asks them an interesting question. He says, where have you been? Now, the stranger is Jesus. Don't want to spoil our alert. You should have read it by now. But Jesus knows where they've been, so why is he asking them? The same reason God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Sometimes you need to stop and pay attention to where you are and how you got there. Where have you been? What has taken your eyes off of God, off of the king, is what he's saying. It's a good question. These two men had seen their hopes die, or so they thought. They thought it was dead. It looked dead. It's hard to see God when hope dies. 
Now, some of you are blessed, and, and I don't know how you do it. I really don't. The worst things happen to you, and your, your faith just rises to the occasion. Be aware that most of us have to struggle for the surface. But there is a surface. And as hard as it is to see God when your hopes have died, your job, your health, your possessions, lost in the fire. And as often as we sometimes wonder, what kind of God would let this happen? Or where was God when this happened? We often do not realize that God was right beside us in the storm. And he might be the person that was beside you. He might be the woman that stood beside you as you took the Lord's Supper. He might be the child whose cry you heard. He is not far. The men on the road to Emmaus had a problem, but it wasn't lack of faith. It was lack of vision. Where are your eyes? We sometimes fault God for not giving us what he wanted, what we wanted, rather, when he wants us to want something else, something better. Teens, you're going to be here if you're not here already. Um, we've all been there. You're going to meet somebody one day, and your brain's going to light up. That frontal lobe's going to just go bing, 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 like a, like a pinball machine going downstairs. And you're going to start praying to God. And there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. You're going to be praying to God, let this one be the one. Oh, let this one. Thank you, Jesus. In a couple of weeks, you might find yourself saying, Lord, smite them. Smite them mightily. <laughs> Every person in here who married Miss Wright or Mr. Wright met a lot of wrongs along the way. Every one of us. And arguably, Cammy married Mr. Wrong and worked to make him Mr. Right. It can happen. But my point is this. Sometimes what we want is not as good as what God wants for us. So look up. Look up. Aim higher. I don't think people, kids at Christmas want too much. I just think they aim too low. They don't realize what the real presents are. Sometimes Moses stands and sees his dreams die. He's on the mountain. The people are below him. They're going to cross the Jordan, and he will never put foot there. He will die on this mountain. And you think, how tragic. Until the next time you see Moses, he's standing right beside Jesus. And Elijah, that's an upgrade from Israel. That's a lot. And Golda Meir, the first prime minister of Israel, I'll never forget her line, saying she appreciated Moses, but Moses took 40 years to lead the Israelites, she said, to the only place in the Middle East without oil. <laughs> I think Moses would have, was the most disappointed man on the planet when he died. But not a second later. God says, look up. Or what about Zechariah, left speechless at Elizabeth's news, looking at his wife who stands in front of him, gray-haired and pregnant. Wasn't looking for that. Or it's two Emmaus-bound pilgrims 
reaching out to take a piece of bread from a stranger only to see that the hands that reached out had been pierced and they recognized those hands. It is a simple mason's son or carpenter's son who is truly the glory of heaven in human form. Although according to Isaiah, he didn't look that special. He was that special. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters what it is. This is no Hollywood or music star who's going to be here today and forgotten tomorrow. This is no run-of-the-mill Messiah. We've always had those. This is God who stretches out his hands and lets a minimum wage soldier drive a nail through them. That soldier didn't know this is God. That soldier might not have believed in God. That soldier might not have ever thought about God. What he didn't know was God was thinking about him and the very hands he was nailing to that cross beam wanted nothing more than to hug him and welcome him home. Look up. This is the God who demanded purity and yet stood up for the rights of prostitutes and the fallen. This is the God who calls us to march to heaven but refuses to be an earthly king. This is the God who sends men and women into all the world armed only with bended knees and the memories of the one who loves them. It's time to see him. I understand it can be difficult. It can be very difficult for us to have to walk by faith and not by sight. He told us around him that it was those who would come later, us, who would be more blessed because we would have to believe without seeing him. You're especially blessed. You are esteemed by God. Daniel wasn't ready for that. Daniel had gone through all kinds of trials. He'd faced kings down, butchery down, being mutilated. He still kept his faith. He'd faced down lions, but whenever he saw an angel, he collapsed in fear. But the angel lifted it up and said, Daniel, don't be afraid. Listen to this. You are highly esteemed in heaven. So are you. Look up. You don't have to settle for the world. God's got you. You don't have to settle for sex. You have love. You don't have to settle for stuff. You have eternity. You don't have to settle for the world's political systems. You already have a king. Thank you very much. Jesus brought us light. The first 10 verses of the book of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him, all might believe. Now, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They didn't see what was right in front 
of their eyes. It reminds me of whenever Philip says to Jesus, if you just show us God, that's all we ask. And he turns and he goes, haven't I already been with you? And you didn't see me? You should be getting chills about now. Because this is not theoretical. God is right beside you. And he wants you to look up. He helps us to see what we've so long ignored. My wife is from Colorado. It is one of the most spectacular states. It is just amazing. We moved here from Colorado Springs where we lived at 6,700 feet. Off of our bedroom was a huge back deck overlooking Pike's Peak in the Garden of the Gods. We never got over it. It was only two miles to the building from my house, but the way that the mountains are situated, that last couple hundred yards to our house, you would pop over a ridge, a mesa, and look, and all of a sudden, the vast front range of the Colorado mountains just boom, right in front of you. Always took my breath away. But when I talked to people who had been raised there, they would go, oh, you know, after a while, you don't even notice them. Really? I don't want to live that long. I don't want to live so long that I don't see the mountains anymore. But what about husbands that fail to notice how pretty their wife really is? What about wives who fail to notice, well, their husbands aren't pretty, but they're valuable, they're noble, they're kind. What about those who do not see? You know who's even worse? Those who refuse to. Those who live in self-imposed darkness. They will not read, they will not study, they will not take time to reflect. They will not break off constant stimulation from phones and media to take time to think and see, to really see. They sit through sermons, but they're not changed by them. They sing hymns, but they're not redirected or recharged by them. But that light, that night rather, a light came in Bethlehem. And those who opened their eyes saw that light. And they were forever changed by it. Thomas would say, my Lord and my God. Mary Magdalene would say, I have seen the Lord. John would say, we have seen his glory. That minimum wage soldier would say, surely this was the Son of God. The men on the road to Emmaus would say, did our hearts not burn within us? We hadn't even thought of it, but our hearts were burning. Peter would say, we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. I want to give Mark a little bit more time to get the band up on stage. I love the gift the Hewitts give us, standing up here amongst the foliage. I, I, uh, I feel pretty. Anyway. <laughs> we are creatures of choice. Our muscles are, in the main, moved by our decision. Choose where you put your eyes. All worldviews, all religions, even a lack of religion, are based on faith, every one of them. Atheism is as much a faith system 
as churches. There's no real evidence for atheism. It has to be accepted on faith. And it goes against what we know in science. There's so much evidence for faith in Christ, but in the end, it's still a matter of faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. But we believe that what we see is evidence for faith. I want you to stand. We're going to look at a verse, and I want you to see something. In a verse many of you have skipped over, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Other translations, the salvation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now I want to give you a charge to go look at that passage because of what happens next. They bring the baby Jesus to him, and he sees the baby Jesus, and he says, my eyes have seen the salvation of Israel. Did you hear this? Salvation is not a pathway. Salvation is not a ritual. Salvation is not a set of laws. Salvation is a person. Open your eyes. Open your heart. Look up and see the Lord.